Start building the home of your future today. Smart Home. So this is a series on the, on the home, the smart home it's called. And the topic this week is the role of a mother in the smart home. And you know, I've made a discovery that when a man stands up and tells mothers how to be mothers, doesn't go over as good as a woman telling mothers about motherhood. So in a little bit, Lindy's going to come out here and I'm going to interview her based on a text of scripture. But before she does that, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel in your Bibles. I trust you brought one. Uh, If not, there's one close by. 1 Samuel chapter 1, a familiar story. There's just a few things I want to bring out. I've always thought that mothers set the standard for unconditional love. I mean, nobody loves you like your mother. You can be a creep and your mother will love you. Right? Am I right? You know, we have a saying in our culture, uh, you have a face only a mother could love. Right? That's a put down. But there's a truth embedded in that put down. And that is, no matter what you look like or what you've done, your mom will stand by you. But we relate to our mothers differently at different ages, our ages. So, for example, uh, if you're age four, you think, my mom can do anything. That's age four. Age 12, you're thinking, mom does not know everything. Age 14, you're thinking, mom doesn't know anything. At age 18, you're thinking, mom is out of step with the times. Age 25, well, mom knows a few things. Age 35, hey, before we decide, let's get mom's opinion. Age 45, I wonder what my mom would say about this. And age 65, I wish I could talk to my mom once more. Now, I happen to be in that last category. I lost my mother. She's not around. I certainly wish she was because there's a lot of things I'd still love to run by her and talk to her about and get her fellowship and input on. I don't have that luxury. But, but I want to introduce you to my mom a little bit, at least by a couple of slides. So this is my mom when I'm... And I got the goofiest smile on my face, right? It's like, really? That is how he smiles? But just there's my mom. Now, my mom was about five feet even. Maybe five one before she shrunk. She could have been even taller. She was a giant to me because I was, you know, looking up at her. But, but she was this very small-framed gal who was also very capable She raised four boys. I was the fourth of four boys. She learned early on how to handle us, how to corral us. So she was very loving but very firm. And um, you don't mess with mom. And I, uh, you know, I, I recall on several occasions, you know, sometimes mom would say, wait till your father gets home. At other times, it's like, ain't waiting for dad to get home. It's a preemptive strike right now. And she, she learned how to control us. But she was always the one to be like a compass for our family. She set direction. She helped us navigate our way through life. And um, I was... Uh, then later on, this is my mom a little bit later. She always laughed. She always smiled. 
And um, I just this just captures her spirit. But my mom was there when I entered this world. Really, she had no choice. <laughs> she had to be part of the process. So she was there when I entered the world. I had the privilege of being at her bedside when she left this world. And it was for me one of the holiest moments ever. It was for me a full circle. It's like, wow. And she was there when I was born, but I'm here when she's going to heaven. So... So th- that's, that's my mom. And in a minute, I'm going to introduce you to somebody you already know, but that is the mother of my son. And that's my wife, Lindy. Before we do, I'm having you look at a, a girl by the name of Hannah in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And I think most of you do know this story. The story begins not with a mother, but an infertile young woman. She cannot have a baby We are told in chapter 1, verse 2, that Elkanah, her husband, had two wives. Not going to try to unravel that right now. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. And then in verse 5, we're told why. It said, the Lord closed her womb. Now, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Because whenever we talk about mothers, I understand that it's a painful subject for some young women who are infertile, like Hannah was. In fact, to this segment of our population, a talk on mothers or Mother's Day is like the worst day of the year. It just opens that wound in a fresh way. It hurts to talk about it. And I, I just want you to know I understand that. And the Bible even speaks about that. And I will say, I don't know why it is that some gals are unable to have children, why the fertility rate is 12%, one in eight couples cannot have children. And and it's a mystery to me, I don't know why, but I do know this. I know that your value to God is not based on your ability to reproduce. God loves you the way you are, whether you have children or not. And that may or may not comfort you, but I want you to know it's a reality. God loves you because you're a special creation of His. And you're a son or a daughter of the living God, all of us. So that's your value. And I also know that you're not alone. That in the scriptures themselves, some of the most noteworthy women were at one time infertile. Sarah could not have a child till she was like 99. That's a whole other issue. I know that Rebecca, same thing, infertile. I know that Jacob's two wives, both Leah and Rachel, were infertile and struggling with the issue. And in the New Testament, the one who would become John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, she was infertile. The Lord opened all of their wombs eventually. Now, I'm going to offer you, before we get a little deeper into this text, I'm going to offer you three possibilities, if you can't have children, that might comfort you. Three possible reasons why. Reason number one, it could be that in the providence of God, He's not giving you a child yet. He's still preparing you for the time when He will open your womb and enable you to have a baby. So, not now doesn't mean not ever. So you you still may be in the preparation phase for that. He knows that. He knows what the right time is. That's number one. Number two, it could be that you won't ever be able to have a natural child, 
but that you will be able to be a, an adoptive parent or a foster parent. You shouldn't discount that. There's way more kids who want parents than parents who want kids. And if you can, you can match that up somehow, it can be a wonderful thing. I was just overseas, and part of our delegation uh, was Michelle Bachman, and she was a former congresswoman from Minnesota. She was the first female Republican to run for president of the United States. She has 21 foster children, five natural kids, but she has been involved in raising up a whole number of children as a calling of God. And then a third possibility is that the Lord wants you available for a very specific task that would be impossible if your time were directed toward raising children. Could be that he just has something special planned out for you. You don't know, and that may or may not be comforting. I hope it is. But let's continue with this. Eventually, Hannah, after a period of anguish, is able to be a mother, to have a child by the name of Samuel, who becomes a prophet during this time. But what we see here is a truth that we talked about a few weeks back. And the truth was that every every parent, every person but specifically every father or mother, should live with a grid of God first, spouse second, child third, or children, and then everything else after that. There is a priority grid. Well, here we have a woman who we see kept her priority grid. Let's see what's important to her. Number one, God was. In verse 7, would you please notice that it says, So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord. Now just let that sink in. Here is a woman who felt it very necessary to regularly worship God. That was her priority. She did it because it was important for her to do it. Move on down to verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Here we see her praying. She's infertile. She cries out to God, but she's voicing it in prayer. Then verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord. So by a number of these texts, we can add them all up and we can paint a profile. Here's a woman who is a praying woman. God's going to answer her prayer. Samuel is going to grow up with the heritage that I had a praying mom. This world owes a lot to praying mothers and grandmothers. Abraham Lincoln said, no one is poor who has a godly mother. And then he said, I still remember my mother's prayers. They follow me. In fact, they cling to me. If you're going to have anything cling to you, it's better not to have dandruff or little things from the street, but to have your mother's prayers cling to you. So God was number one. Number two, her husband. And I want you to notice a couple of texts that kind of speak to their relationship that was unique. Verse five, this is every year at the feast, the husband, Elkanah, it says, but to Hannah, he, that is Elkanah, her husband, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion For he loved Hannah, although the Lord closed her womb. So he's doling out the food, gives both wives the meal, but supersizes Hannah's. A double portion. 
because he loved her, it says. Down in verse 8, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Now, we know why she's weeping. She is infertile. She wants a child. But he says, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? And why is your heart grieved? And then he says something that if I were there, I would say, um, you probably don't want to throw this line in. But he did. He said, am I not better you, better to you than ten sons? Now, that's not what you say to a woman who wants, wants a child really bad. What? You got me? Yeah, that's why I'm praying for a child. So the bravado aside, I think you would agree that Hannah and her husband Elkanah had a relationship that was good. They understood each other. Peter says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. And I think this shows that they, they were able to do that. I was reading a, a teenager's complaint sentiment where she said she was raised in a Christian home. But her parents were struggling. They were fighting a lot. And she said, you know, I wish my parents could understand that unless they love each other and unless they show the love to each other, it's very difficult for them to preach to me a gospel of love and to tell me that God loves me and that we should love each other and not do certain kinds of behavior. And I thought that was very insightful. She, you need to see it. You can't pass on what you don't have. So the grid was God, spouse, and then her son, her child. So eventually she gets pregnant. She has a child. I'm going to skip you quickly down to verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all of his house went to offer up to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him and may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Now, weaning wasn't like a few months. In those days, weaning was about three years. And it wasn't just a physical thing. It was a spiritual slash emotional thing. So the word wean is a word that means to deal fully with someone. So a better translation is, I'm not going to take him anywhere till I have dealt fully with my son. Implied in that is a training process, spiritual preparation. She wanted to make sure that before he fulfills the vow of a Nazarite, which I'm not going to try to explain that. We've done that before, but it was a lifelong vow of dedication. Before that, I have just a few years, these formative stages of his life to impress certain truths into him. So before the launch takes place, I want to make sure that I am focusing, dealing fully with my son. There's an old Jewish proverb. I've loved it. It says, God couldn't be everywhere, and so he made mothers. As if to say, mothers are the embodiment of the principles that God wants to share with children and help train up a new generation. So Hannah had the priority. God first, husband second, Samuel, her child third. Now comes the day for the launch. Now comes the day to let him go. And so verse 24 tells us, Now when she had weaned him, dealt fully with him, she took, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, 
and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, that is the priest at the time. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshiped the Lord there. So this is how the the book of Samuel begins. The book of Samuel is about, guess who? Samuel. It's about Samuel and about King Saul and King David, both of whom were chosen by Samuel through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So she launches him that day. Now, quick little background. In your English Bible, the chronology, the, the order of the books is, you have the book of Judges, followed by the book of Ruth, followed by the book of 1 Samuel. That's not how it is in the original, the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth, is in a, a separate section called the Megillot. It's in a whole different portion of the Old Testament. So it is in the Hebrew Bible, Judges, followed by 1 Samuel. That's the chronology. Now, you know that Judges was one of the worst periods of time in Israel's history. In fact, the closing chapter, uh, chapter 21, has this statement, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Remember that verse? So, describing that time, it was pure moral relativism. It was a black hole spiritually where everybody just sort of did what everybody thought they wanted to do without any moral compass. Into that black hole, God dispatches Samuel as a prophet to pick Saul and to pick David. But none of that would have been possible unless God got hold of a woman who would pray and pour out her heart and be open to the Lord to open up her womb, knowing that once this child comes into life, I'm going to dedicate this child fully to the Lord, and look what God did. So it began with a woman. Somebody once said, when God wants to do a great work, He'll choose a man. When God wants to do an extraordinarily great work, He'll choose a woman. And He chose this woman to birth this prophet who would go in to that culture and be a representative for God. One of my heroes of Bible teaching is a guy by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. He lived last century, early part of, well, a century ago. And um, he would always say that his love for the Bible came from his mother, that he observed his mother loving to read and, and live by and teach the Scripture. So he got that from mom. When he got married, he married a woman who equally loved the Scriptures. And then he had a bunch of sons, and all of his sons, like him, became preachers. Well, they had a little friendly reunion of people in the neighborhood and all the kids were there. And uh, one of the friends, one of the neighbors, asked one of G. Campbell Morgan's sons, hey, who's the best preacher in your family? Thinking the answer is going to be, oh, my brother is, or, well, of course, my father is. But the son said, oh, my mother is the best preacher in our family. 
And all the boys agreed. Even G. Campbell Morgan said, yep, she's the best. So allow me to introduce to you the best preacher in our family, my wife, Lenya. Good morning. Merci beaucoup. Buckets. Lots of buckets of thanks. Okay, so what does that mean? Very much. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. No, thank Thank you. you. No, thank you. No, Elvis has left the building. Okay, so um, there's a text in the New Testament, Lenny, Titus, that speaks by saying, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous. Uh, slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. So with that text in mind, I have a few questions. Okay? You ready? Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. Go so ahead. What is what was yours and what do you think is the highest priority of a mother? Apart from loving God is loving your husband. I think the best way we show children our love is by loving their father. And so that's just a high standard for me. And um, this text even says that the older women <clears throat> Should teach the younger what women. Was, now, wait, wait, wait. What was, that, what was that all about? That was like, dang, I think I'm in that category of older woman. <clears throat> it's a little hard to swallow. Um, so anyway, the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands. And um, so one of the ways that we did that is uh, before Daddy got home, we would straighten up the house and have a meal plan. And I don't know why women don't like meal planning like I used to. But ordering pizza is a meal plan just in case you were stressing out there. So that's an okay meal plan. So we would have a meal plan. In fact, the meal plan can be husband pick up the pizza on the way home. That's the meal plan. Totally a meal plan. Okay, got it, got it. Yep. So um, anyway, and uh, then we would try and, you know, Nate, go comb your hair. And if I had sweats on, maybe I change out of my sweats. Just, you know, make it a nice homecoming. And then no TV, no phone, you know. Initially, when dad comes home, you know, I watch the news at night. I'm like a news junkie. So when Skip gets home nine times out of 10, I'll be watching the news. So if he comes in, I either mute it, turn it off, get up and go and greet him because that is just respectful. Whether it's your husband, your mother, you know, a child that you're not just ignoring someone that you're really respecting that they're in the room. Mm. So we would do that. And then also a priority was loving uh, my husband was also showing affection. So we would always kiss, like make out. No, just kidding. (laughs) Really? We would make out in that kitchen like you can't believe, no? (laughs) I can't believe we're actually, you actually said that. Are you blushing? I'm kind of blushing. First of all, it didn't happen. quite that way but we did show affection we did that on purpose because we wanted our children to be able to see when he was little he'd go you and then when he was older he goes kiss her again kiss her again i think he's back at you i think yeah he's he's definitely regressed to the first sentiment yeah tmi 
And so um, then also respect this loving of my husband is to respect my husband. So we wouldn't have secrets from dad, like don't tell your dad I bought that. Or, you know, when your dad gets home, nicks on that, you know, or don't let him know. And so I just think that's inappropriate, that children and moms shouldn't have secrets from dad. It should be an integrated family. You wanted, wanted to be uh, both fronts. Yeah, that they can't play one against the right. other. We talked about that earlier. Who's good cop, bad cop? Well, you go ahead. Lenny. <laughs> no, what, no, no. What you are tell. you going to say? No, you tell them. Who's, who's the good cop? You are the good cop. No, you are not <laughs> telling the truth. <laughs> so, you know, I'm probably the softer one, right? Uh-huh. But you were with him day in and day out. So yeah. you, I'm probably was a lot easier. So he would try to kind of do, do an end around and say, hey, you know. And, and Dad said. Right. So we always made sure that we would always check with the other or say, well, let's go ask your mom or let's go ask yeah, your dad. It's so true. We it did. was a unified front. Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's a large part of our biggest priority, love and respect. And so we make sure dad gets love and respect. You feeling the love, hon? I am. I'm feeling okay, the love. Good. And I've always felt the love. Good. Okay. So, you know, the Bible talks a lot about training up a child, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the verse, train up a child in the way that he should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. How do you specifically do that? What do you train a child? How do you do it? Mr. Spoon. Spare the spoon, spoil the child. No, You're talking just, about corporal discipline, yes, right? Yes, I am. Do you believe we, in that? Do you believe I in I do, actually, believe. But, you know, it could be different. You know, you have to train up a child. So that is that was part of what we did. But I think training a child are multiple ways. We train them spiritually, emotionally, and personally. And spiritually, it was really important in the Heitzig home that he would know the scripture. And so Skip was amazing. He made up this thing called Say, Play, and Pray. We would say the scripture. Then we would play them, Goliath. Nathan would be David. Yeah, we had, uh, Mary, we had a costume. Joseph. We had a trunk full of costumes. Yes. So we would we would always dress up like the character that we just read about yeah. the story in the Bible. And then we would say, play, and pray. Then we'd pray about it. That we would act that out in our lives as well as you know acting it out in our home. So spiritually, that's super important. That's why he threw rocks after the David and Goliath story. I'm guessing. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. I know. I know. I'm just. Yes, okay. the fourth service, jet lag, things like that. Okay, and then emotionally, um, I think that as moms, we are nurturers and we are just the kinder gender. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I think that we help our kids identify their emotions and express them appropriately. I, and I'm not, I'm ki- not kidding about that. Um, a lot of times we feel emotions, but we don't know where they came from, what they are, and what we should do about all that. And so a lot of times when Nathan was young and he was having some kind of experience, I'd say, well, are you mad? Are you sad? Are you frustrated? And I would try and help him identify what was going on in his little heart and then to express it appropriately. Like recently, Seth came over to the house and he was just in a mood. You ever have kids that are in a mood? And uh, he like tossed a pillow and was mean to Katie and sassed back to me. So Janae said, Seth, you cannot talk like that to your Mimi. And so he walked over to me. That's what you were called. You were the Mimi. I'm Mimi um, instead of Grandma. And so he came over to me, and he just started crying. I go, buddy, what's going on? He goes, Mimi, I'm just frustrated. It's been a terrible day. 
And that's all he really wanted to say. He wasn't trying to throw pillows or be mean. And I go, well, dude, let's talk about frustration. What do we do with frustration? How do we, you know, you could either exercise, work it out. You could talk about it with somebody. So you make that a teaching moment and uh, let him know that there are ways to express his emotions. Let me just put a fine point on that. Yeah. So it's important to, to teach a child to be able to articulate their yes. emotions because if they don't, they grow up and they'll express anger and they'll never have had a handle on being able to isolate what they felt like. I agree. Totally agree with that. So spiritually, emotionally, and then personally, you know, this bundle lands in your lap and you have no idea the gift you've been given. You don't know their personality, their attributes, their capabilities, their callings, their giftings. And so it's kind of our job to discover that together. And so you provide opportunities for your kids, whether it's sports or music or math or reading and, you know, all kinds of experiences so that you can find out what their gifts and callings and aptitudes are. And so you want to encourage. They discover their identity and uh, so that you're launching them, launching this arrow into a direction that they can be the most successful Nathan he can be. And mm. look how great Nathan is. Yeah, He's he an is amazing awesome. child. Yes. Adult. Yeah, there you go. Person. Yeah, you know, I sort of feel bad for him because, you know, he's thinking, gosh, all these stories you're bringing up. But he was our, you know, we tried to have more children and we had problems being able to do that. But, um, yeah, I said, dude, you're going to be talking about a lot this weekend because we're talking about a mother's role. And guess who was your mother? Yeah. The other thing is we had axioms in those personality developments. Like one of our axioms is never give up. And so sometimes your kid doesn't want to learn to write or they don't think they can be a math person or, you know, they just don't know how to make a bed. Mom, mm. you're going to have to do it. I don't know how. <laughs> Uh, the whole thing is confusing to me. And so we always say never give up. And so you might want to include some axioms in your family. It gives them handles as so they launch into life. That family they motto. Yeah. And kindness was a value to us. And, and, and even that with, with Seth, who thought he wouldn't be able to do something or pull it off. And we said. I always say, Seth, what's the Heitzig motto? Never give up. Yeah. And so right. they'll, they'll launch. You know what? They'll, they'll go in it for another round. Okay, I, I interrupted you. Then kindness you were talking about. No, I was just, you know, saying that in their personality, we need to be good to develop that personality. So accentuate the positive, decentuate the negative. If they're good, put them in sports. If they're great, put them in college. You know, figure out where they fit in society. We want to raise great citizens who contribute and give back to society and not are always takers. That's awesome. That's great. Okay. Yes. I'm clapping because that was good. I should have done that. Um, I want to talk about the tone in a home. Ooh, that's good, honey. The tone in the, the home. The tone in the home. Is that a rap song? It could be. You want to, you want to try it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, good. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> you, you, you're getting it. Keep, keep it up. I wouldn't practice it right now. Maybe later we can work on this, but... I can dab. Okay. Okay, so a lot of times the tone is set in a home by yes. the mother because she is there with that child, typically, not always, I don't want to paint with the broom, but a bulk of the time. So there's an old saying, everybody knows it, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Yeah, so, and, and there's been times I've put myself in time out. <laughs> okay. 
you know, moms, if you got to put yourself in time out, you got to do what you got to do. So it's like, honey, I'm taking a bath. He's all yours for a little while. You know what I mean? Right, right. So you can put yourself. Anyway, our home should be a sanctuary. That's the way I look at it. When Nate and Skip or Janae or the family are there, this should be a safe space where they can decompress, they can be themselves, they can just let loose. You know, there's a lot of else that's stressing you out in the world. And so home should be a wonderful place. I believe in dinner around a table. Sorry to come back to this, ladies. But do you know when you have dinners around a table that your grade level increases for your child and they are less likely to be engaged in promiscuity and in drugs? So have yeah, A lot of studies have been done about yes, that. Yes, yeah. a lot. So have meals around the table. Again, even if it's just pizza, it values your home, it values your family, it values the individual. And when we're around the table, there are no phones. We no engage lights, with no each other. No cars. Not a single luxury. I know that song. <laughs> that Gilligan's Island? Yes. Yeah, it was. How many of you remember Gilligan's Island? Thank what you. What a good old show. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so no phones at the table. Yeah. We're sitting and, you know, around. We sing. That's another Heitzig value. Right. Our kids, we did this thing one year. We had kazoos, and you had to pull up a song, and you had to guess who was making the song. So now the kids, as soon as they sit down to eat, they'll go, hey, I got one. <laughs> and then they want you all to sing. I think home should be happy and kind and nurturing and loving and special. So create that, ladies. Be busy at home. That's good. That's what we're supposed to do. And then it says that we should be kind. We should treat others with gentleness. And so um, Nathan learned some of those things. When he was young, we didn't have siblings, but he had a cousin named Lenya. And if he liked dogs, she likes cat. Batman, Catwoman. Polar and opposites. I know. So one day they were upstairs, and I was down, and I heard a commotion going on. And I think Batman shoved Catwoman off the bed, and she landed on the Batmobile, which scratched her side. So what would a cat do? She bit Batman. And there was just screaming and a commotion, and they came downstairs, and um, I said, you know, today I'm going to teach you about grace and mercy. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. Y'all deserve not to have dinner and go to bed hungry, but I'm not going to give you what deserve. I'm going to give you grace. You know what grace is? Getting what you don't deserve. Come on, let's get in the car. We're going to Target. You can pick out $10 or less a present at Target. So you rewarded their bad behavior? I did. Okay, so explain this to us. Well, that's what taught them grace and mercy. Okay. Grace, you're getting something you don't deserve. They were walking through the store like, when's the other shoe going to drop? Where's I mean, my like, mother and what have you, you done, done with, with her? her? But you know what? Nathan remembers that lesson today, you know, all the way through. Now, there was another time he did something bad, and he said, what about grace and mercy? And I said, today is mercy and judgment. <laughs> got to learn them all. you got to be balanced. Yeah, got to learn them all. So yeah. it's, it's balanced. But we want to teach them kindness and others. You know, the Bible says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want Nathan to know whose neighbors are. So have you guys noticed there's more homeless people in Albuquerque than there ever, ever have been? And so I don't think we should ignore them. Jesus wouldn't have. He said, visit those in prison, visit the poor, visit those in hospitals. So Nathan and I colored some paper bags and filled them with non-perishables and tracks and socks. We put them in a laundry basket. And when we go down the street, instead of like averting your gaze, Nate would go, Mom, there's one of those people. 
like they were good and they might be that someone's mother or brother you know son that's there and your act of kindness can make a difference and we have to raise kind people who care about others so we would hand out these bags and to this day Nathan will turn his car around go to Burger King or McDonald's and get a gift certificate and give it to someone you guys we cannot ignore those who are hurting in our midst there's something we should do mm, and so a tone of the home of kindness is a good thing. And um, there, I remember there were times when that generosity spilled out not just to homeless, but to people who would come over. And um, yet, like we would have bought him something, and then we see it walking out the door with another child. Do you remember Abercrombie when it was like the thing? I don't know if it's the thing anymore, but he had two Abercrombie shirts because he would ask for them from Grandma and Grandpa for birthdays. And one day a kid walked out with one of the coveted Abercrombie shirts. I was like, Nate, what's going on? He goes, Mom, I have two, and he didn't have one. I was like, all right, buddy. Yeah, you, you know, can't what? If you want to learn kindness, that's the way to learn it. Okay, so let's talk about, in the time we have left, some practical ways to teach what is good. You know, the Bible does talk about teaching what is good. So talk about that. Part of that is purity. It says to be pure in this text. And I think our homes are like an old city that has the walls built around them. And you guys, you have got to protect the babies. So you don't want pornography in your home, bad language in your home. Ladies, if you have a Victoria's Secret catalog and it stumbles your son, stop it. You know what I mean? If that's what you got to do, it's what you got to do. We noticed that um, on our TV at night, bad things come on it. So we drove down to Comcast and said, get that off our TV. We're not stumbling the kids who are in our home. I mean, we have to make those measures toward teaching what is good, self-control and purity. And so step up. This is our job. Um, one example Someone told me The Last of the Mohicans was a good movie when Nate was very young. And so I took him and his cousin Lenya. And it was all good until they ripped out the heart of the father and took a bite out of it. And then they were crying, I'm traumatized, I'm traumatized, I hate this stupid old lady movie. And um, I failed utterly to protect them from an age-appropriate thing. Now... Nathan preached last week. He turned out okay, right? Yeah. You know, so we make mistakes. It happens. But when you figure out something is stumbling your child, fix it. You know, if they're becoming overweight, take away some of those oh, those snacks that they shouldn't be eating. We are responsible for what happens in our homes. Okay, really quickly, one last question. If, an, if this Lenya could speak to a younger Lenya, <clears throat> just starting out raising kids... Speak to the younger woman who has a, a few kids. It's frustrating. They want to do it right. They want to be the perfect mom. What would you say? Relax. Totally. I think we would all go back and say, take a chill. You know, I almost was like mommy dearest. You guys know that reference? No more wire hangers. Um, I would make Nate clean his room, and if it wasn't clean enough, I'd throw it all back out and say, put it away properly. I mean, that's just not a good moment, you know, that that was just like a <laughs> um, little OCD. So um, anyway, relax. It's okay. No one's going to die if the dishes aren't done. Um, it, it's all right. And then maybe secondarily, enjoy. Mm. Really just enjoy it. It's all going to be over so quickly. 
Yeah. And then you're going to have grandchildren, which are amazing. Yep, yep, so, yep. But anyway, enjoy the ride. It's, it's really spectacular. And, uh, you know, just slow it down a notch. One thing, uh, finally, Lenny, would you mind closing by praying for the mothers who are here as a part of our church? Yeah. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being a nurturer, a mother. What an amazing gift it is that you've given us. And I pray that uh, you would help these ladies to learn unconditional love, that agape, that these kids don't have to do anything to be loved. They are loved. And so we would flow out of that. And sometimes we can't give what we don't have. So fill us with your spirit, Lord, so that we would have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, Lord. We need everything that you can give us to be able to fulfill the task that you've given. And, Lord, I just pray for the children represented in these rooms that you would seek and save them and a generation would rise up, Lord, to bring glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Best preacher in the family right here. We hope you enjoyed this message from Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church. How will you put the truths that you learned into action in your life? Let us know. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.